Welcome again to our frequent podcast called Wear Many Hats, inspired by Ethan Hawkey. Throughout the year, I, David Punter, the Business Development Director for Hawkey Cleaning and Support Services, shall be interviewing prominent facilities management and procurement subject matter experts across a range of market sectors. It's these people with their wealth of knowledge and, the and their experience that we hope will inspire the next generation of young professionals. Our objective is to share our guest stories and experiences to help motivate, engage and inspire others into the industry. Through Wear Many Hats podcast, we hope our listeners will gain new perspectives, insights and learn about strategies to develop their careers in the FM procurement business. It gives me great pleasure to introduce uh, Don Bowman from London University's Purchasing Consortium. Thank you, Don, for joining us uh, today. Um, Don, without further ado, I just wanted to, for some of our listeners, so they can understand a little bit about what uh, the London University's Purchasing Consortium is all about, because it won't necessarily be familiar to a lot of our listeners so if you could give me yeah, a, of a course. an idea. Yeah, um, London University's Purchasing Consortium started over 50 years ago um, in the University of London. And they wanted to start um, doing some collaborative buying okay. with other organizations. And it started with paper. So the first, oh, okay. thing, the first thing they were buying were pallets of paper. And it developed from there and moved into IT, FM, lab eventually, library services. It's now um, part of a national group called UK Universities Purchasing Consortium. There are six regional consortia. And then there's another one called Tuco, who do the catering, and Tech, who buy energy in the sector. And we work together then for all the unis in the country. Okay. Um, to deliver anything that a university needs. You, when you think of the amount of students, the university I worked at had 20,000 students, 6,000 of them on campus. Right. That's a lot of buying um, that's needed. Um, and uh, equally, uh, 5,000 staff as well, you know, wow. that, that needed, uh, um, whether it be catered for, at the offices, the FM, the cleaning, the, just everything you can think of that you need in a large organisation. Okay. And now, is that um, is it just limited to universities? No, it goes far beyond that. More than half of our members are actually not universities. Um, we have all the major museums and galleries in London, people like the Science Museum, the Natural History Museum. We have gone even further than that. We've got people like the Met Office, okay. uh, the Weather People. We've got um, uh, the Bank of England, um, uh, National Blood Transfusion Service, London Ambulance Service. It's um, for the wider public sector, so it's for any public authority. So they would reach out to you as a support arm for their purchasing needs. Yeah, absolutely. We we primarily put the frameworks in place for the for the commodities um, that are, are regularly used. So we one of the biggest ones we do is called the National Desktop and Notebook. That's for laptops, desktops. There are other many other ICT frameworks. We have um, nationally over 100 different frameworks okay. that, that deliver uh, the major items that universities need. Now, none of them are compelled to use any of them. 
it's not always best necessarily to use a framework if you've got good local suppliers right. that haven't had that that don't have the national reach or don't have the reach of a, a regional lot then it's quite often that you're better off going local as well so there's no no okay no one compelled to use them out of our membership but we do um pick up about 40% of our overall members spend non-pay spend through right. frameworks okay as, as an average you know some more that, that that's very interesting and so uh, w- would they pay to be on that framework then they pay um an annual membership okay and then we get paid by what's called uh, through the sale premium. process yeah there's a, a small percentage of the sale that the um, supplier then pays us okay. retrospectively. Great. That's, uh, I mean, it's very interesting to, to know how it sort of evolved and stuff, which really moves me on to a little bit about how, you know, Don evolved in terms of your journey um, and how you entered the career into procurement. Can you give us, uh, the, the listeners, a little bit of an idea of how, how you started off in your career? Yeah, it was uh, my career started a long time ago, the age of 16. Um, I wasn't particularly academic. I went to a grammar school, but I I wasn't uh, anywhere near uh, successful there. So I was quite keen to get out and get working. First job, um, went to work for the civil service, passed the civil service exam and started as a a local officer for, for the DHSS. In Deptford, which right. I'm sure you're aware is a, an interesting area to start your career. Challenging. Yeah, Deptford and Newcross, very uh, interesting areas. Um, from there, I, I did a number of other jobs, I would call them. I never quite worked out what I wanted to do and worked in um, catering on the railways for a while many, as a manager on of a catering outlet. I worked in a bakery where I was... Running uh, sections of one of the large ones, you know, one of the big. I won't make a railway joke then about the catering because you probably heard yeah, them. yeah. I mean, they, they were so bad; they they're long gone now. The company yeah. I work for. Um, so from there, um, I, I kind of realised it twigged that I'm not really going to get anywhere unless I get back into office work. So. I um, went back to working in the civil service, actually went to the Minister of Agriculture. Okay. A grade below where I'd started 15 years before. (laughs) So I was back to minus, square minus one, uh, just to get my office skills up because from the time I left school till that time, I think it was Word for Windows, I think it was called then, had come in, you know, some of the earlier stuff had started and, I had no experience in that area, so I knew I had to go back uh, to to pick up those skills. Spent okay. spent um, uh, about a year there, and then ended up in working for a broadcasting company, um, broadcast sales. So okay. in a general kind of administration role, and I worked in I worked for them in um, the finance department. And that was London based. Yeah, that okay. was in um, uh, near Borough Station, round round that way. And um, I ended up helping out with a stock take one day, um, helping out the purchasing manager, right. as was. And uh, she was quite keen that I spent more time working with her. So I ended up doing uh, a few small procurements for her. And then she really encouraged me. She was the, the best kind of 
um, person for my career that okay. I've ever met. So kind of a mentor. Uh, absolutely, yeah. She was superb and, and convinced me to start studying SIPs, which I did at night classes. Okay. At, Croydon College a couple of nights a week. Which is the purchasing, procurement. The Chartered Institute of Purchasing Supply. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So you do up to, um, it's it's a post-grad diploma that you get at the end of it after a few years. Um, and well, then when she moved on to, I think she went to work for Sainsbury's, I took over that role. Um, okay. And then I, I realized I'd, I was almost fully qualified and I wanted to... Um, set out on my own and the first procurement job that I actually got off my own back was at the House of Lords. Um, That's pretty impressive. It was an interesting place, an amazing place to work, yeah. yeah. It was, and you um, were there for about seven years, I I was. I it, was probably, it was probably too long in the end, but it was just such an amazing place to work. I didn't want to leave, but it, you know, it, eventually um, you want to move up a bit and move on in your career, and I had young kids at the time, so... I ended up working for um, the skills funding agency who do the apprenticeships and okay. the government department that pays for apprenticeships and that and did some huge procurements for them. Um, and then from there went into the HE sector. I was the uh, head of procurement at the University of Kent. Um, and then once in the HE sector, I've now stayed there and I think I've been there for about 13 years now. So a very impressive track record of public sector, but sort of bridging um, a lot on the higher education side as well. Yeah, most um, recently. Which is, you know, uh, and, and it's interesting because our last uh, podcast that we did, uh, the gentleman Gareth Davis there mentioned about doing the, the Chartered Institute co mm. course that you, you did and went down that route. Um, so what it, what is it like... Um, in terms of a, uh, what is it you like about your procurement role now? The the key things about procurement that I, that I enjoyed, I would say, were um, have the people side of it. So whether that be um, internal stakeholders, meeting with internal stakeholders in, in a large organisation, or, or the negotiating was something I really enjoyed with um, the sales guys. Okay, so you... The, you do a hard bargain. Well, um, yeah, I learned quite a bit when I worked for the broadcasting company because they were a broadcasting sales company. Okay. So, and I spent a lot of time supporting the sales teams as well. So I, I built, you know, picked up a few bits from the guys there about um, uh, the usual things about hooks and, and getting to know people and building relationships. And, and it is all about people skills. It is. Yeah. It is. And so... We've talked about the industries that your company currently work with and, and things like that. So what? Uh, so I, I won't ask that particular question, but which um, skills are required, do you think, for your job, let's say now? Uh, now, my role's moved on. I'm now um, effectively, the role is director. At, right, you are the top of the tree now. Yeah, so it's effectively the managing director of a small company. So, and unfortunately, I don't get to do a lot of procurement anymore unless okay. it's making decisions on behalf of the company. Do you miss uh, that? I do. I do. Yeah, I do miss... Um, you don't keep your hand in there every so often? Oh, Don? yeah, yeah. Bits and pieces and help out with the evaluations if we're, if we're a bit short of uh, numbers and... Yeah, I do. I do. Um, so it's the back, that, that evaluation that. process and stuff. You don't get your hand in that hard 
you know, um, uh, more, for, negotiation the com- more side. for the company. So next okay. year, for instance, our lease is up. So that'll be interesting. To, for the building you're in? Yeah, the building we're in. We're in Tottenham Court Road and we... Um, I know the building. I've been there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, Tough so, landlord to deal with, I should say. Yeah, yeah. So we, we renegotiated about four years ago. Okay. Probably at the height of the market. So we know we're in a strong position. We're unlikely to stay there, but that's, yeah, that's another. But it will be a... There'll be some negotiating to be had in that. Okay. And so obviously you you still keep your hand into some of the old things that you, you, you were doing and stuff, but now being at the top of the tree, you have an overarching looking at all the other uh, people within your organisation. Yeah, so, but I do need to keep on top of absolutely. the latest. So, yeah, supply management or whether it be through um update keeping my procurement skills up to date yeah. keeping over there's some big changes but they're not that big really but there are some changes we can talk about them yeah there are some changes coming that i need to keep on top of as well okay so for for, for don now um what uh does a sort of a typical day look like if you can say there's a typical day. Uh, um, you mean at work or the total? In, Just let's go from the time you open your eyes to have the first coffee. Yeah, the time I open my eyes, um, I, I drink a lot of coffee in the day. Uh, a typical day will be starting with a walk. I generally walk my uh, partner down so she works at a local school. So I, okay. walk, I walk down with her and walk myself back. Um we don't have a dog. It's one of the things I get, should, should I get a dog? Get me out more. <laughs> um, never got round to doing that. Um, but yeah, I like to get out for a walk first thing if I can, um, which I repeat at the end of the day as well. Um, but it, it, it's an endless round of meetings, if I'm honest. Most Is of the time, yeah. Most of our um team now we we only work in the office one day a week is that the same for you yeah that okay. is the same for me yeah unless i'm coming into london to meet members or for meetings or conferences or traveling it's generally we're only all we we make sure we're all in the office together for one day a week okay the rest of the week is generally back to back team schools back to back team schools which wow. can be you know, 10 or 12 a day sometimes. Do you like that? Mm, yeah, sometimes, not always. Yeah, I, I, I don't miss the commute. Okay. Because I was... Because um, you're based in Kent. I right? am, yeah. yeah. I'm quite right down near the Kent coast and um, it's almost two hours door to door. So even though it's a so-called high speed line, it's only high speed when it gets near London, so it's a bit of, it's a, bit of a misnomer. So yeah, it probably takes me two hours door to door. So I was losing four. Well, I wasn't losing. I was working on the train anyway. But it, it, it's easier to manage your workload when you're working from home. So that side of it, I think, is better. Right. Um, you don't have that dead time of walking to the station. and um, But trying to keep yourself active is really important. I had a, um, a problem with my back in December, and I'm sure part of that was because of um, – Sitting a bad posture mm. and leaning over your laptop all day and sitting staring at meetings. So, yeah, I don't miss the commute. I do miss the social side. I miss meeting everyone and collaboration. And, yeah, collaboration. And I do worry about um, when we get new staff in that we make sure that they're in more than a day a week and we rotate other people to be there with them. Yeah. 
where possible because it's so important when you start a new role mm. that you've got someone the, the way it used to be you tap on someone's shoulder what does this mean or what does that mean correct you start in a new job you don't want to look like you know nothing and keep asking loads of questions mm. via teams or whatever so we do try and encourage when we have new staff that people are in with them so okay. yeah I, mi- I miss that interaction the daily interaction of okay. being in an office yeah Okay, so what what would um, you say to someone um, by way of advice if they were starting a career off in procurement? In procurement in general? Well, FM procurement, let's say. FM procurement. If, if you're starting in a, a, a particular area, such a as category, FM, yeah. yeah, you're an FM category lead, they, then you've got every opportunity. You should make understand what it is you're buying yeah understand that category now if you're in a generalist role in uh sometimes in a university you have lots of it you cannot learn everything and you can't pretend to learn everything and it might be you know it's the same to some extent if you're in a really large organization you're probably in a subcategory yeah fm um it's really important to understand what it is you're buying to understand what it is that the end user wants from a supplier. So how, what sort of advice would you give them to be able to immerse themselves into that? Talk to people. Always ask people to help. Everyone likes to help new staff, and even though they might seem grumpy sometimes, if you tap them on the shoulder too often, don't be put off by that. They, they really do want to help you. It's just... Time, you know, make sure your timing's good, yeah. that you're not interrupting them in the middle of something too often. But ask people. Don't be afraid to ask. We're, none of us know any of this without having asked someone or learned from down someone that route else. as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm a big believer, even though I've been in the profession now for uh, about 25 years, I don't know everything. I never will do. I, when I was at the uni, I was buying all sorts of things. I had no idea what it was. But if you ask someone and you ask them in the right way, yeah. um, when you're buying these hugely expensive and complicated bits of lab equipment, there's just no way you're going to know no. what, what an anechoic chamber is or does. That's why these guys are academics in their field. So you need to just ask them in the right way. You know, Ask people that you're the expert. You know, tweak their ego a little bit, academics mm. like that. Um but just just say, can you get it, tell me in layman's terms what it is you want from this? What are the key um, issues with buying this that are okay. going to help me understand what, what I should be asking of the suppliers? Okay, that's a very interesting point. Um, look at, looking um, specifically at, again, facilities management, has the way, do you think, facilities management procurement changed over the years? Yeah, it's it's. I've certainly seen it in the HE sector where it's um, it's it seems to be quite cyclical. Where it's outsourced, then it's insourced, then it's outsourced, and yeah, that, that seems to come and go. I know in in the HE sector in the last few years, there's been a big push to insource in um, a lot of the FM side. Um, Is that when you when you when you mean in the higher education sector insourcing like? Let's say cleaning, for example, it's taken yeah. in house. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there they, are quite a few organisations of taking cleaning in house. Um, I think there's a, there's a realisation now that, um, and a lot of that isn't necessarily for quality or for cost reason. In fact, it generally costs them more. Yes, it's more a push it from does. 
from I'll say that from a cleaning point <laughs> yeah. of view. It's more. It's, it's become more a push from students and from unions to get um, the workers onto equivalent terms of the staff that are working within an institution. Okay, so the, the drive there is a kind of a one-team approach. Uh, on, on it is. It is, site. and I can understand it having, to some extent, having worked. Uh, um, in a you know in a university um it does allow you to build more of a team spirit the the problem is whether you've got that supply available which you don't necessarily have if you've got a fixed workforce when when issues happen mm. how are you going to top that supply up it's it's the speed of um uh, of additional support where needed is quite often the problem. Yeah, but yeah, they're, they're generally for other reasons other than quality. There's been a big move to insource. Okay, so is, that's where we are at the moment. It's being insourced. Mm. Are we in the insource part of the cycle, um, <sighs> or is it moving back again? <laughs> it's it's hard I just to say. say that. I've seen a few that I haven't heard of anyone. Um, else insourcing recently okay um, but i know um a couple of years ago there were there were quite a a few of our members that that were insourcing at mm -hmm. the time yeah i mean it's interesting because obviously i remember being in the uh, soft services support services industry for, for about 25 years myself um is that by insourcing it does bring back the legacy issues that we tried to get away from when one was outsourcing. Um, so uh, just a word for the listeners there out there. But um, You mean the 2P? Yeah, the 2P, the, um, the yeah. superannuation and various yeah, other yeah. pension rights it does, and the things cost, like that. The cost costs are a fortune. very significant. For and that's that. public money. Yeah, those that have insourced. It's, um, yeah, the public money side isn't... Uh, universities are funded a, a, that's bit, right. yeah, yeah. a bit differently. It's the students... Um, loans okay. is the majority funder now. Okay. Um, so also with the advent of, you, you talked a lot about working at home and stuff and having back-to-back -back meetings, but would you say with the advent of online meetings um, through Zoom and Teams, um, do you feel that this has affected the way strong partnerships with suppliers can be fostered? I would say it's a lot harder than it used to be. Um I know when we've uh, been running events uh, for members in person, it's been quite difficult to get uh, sufficient numbers there to run these events over right. time. Um, I can't really talk for individual organisations because it depends how they're running themselves. Okay. It's not so important for us in that uh, we're putting frameworks in place. So okay. we're, we're, we're kind of a, an agent. Slightly at arm's length. Yes, exactly. Slightly okay. at arm's length. So we've got a relationship, obviously, with suppliers. Correct. But the key relationship is the supplier to is the supplier to the buyer in within a, one of our members. I so, get you. So that side it. of the relationship, I think, is probably more you know equally, if not more, important for. Okay, that that does answer my question. So, and do you think um, COVID and the way that we now work? Um, has kept suppliers and procurers more at arm's length than before. Yeah, I do. I, I, I absolutely do. And it's for the reasons I mentioned, that if organisations are not 
uh, expecting their staff there five days or at least four days a week, that is going to have an impact. You're, yeah. not, you're not going to meet um, with your suppliers so often you're, and, and from a supplier side, you're not going to meet the, the, the key people internally as often as, as you would have done in the past. You can't just turn up on site and just check everything's working okay mm-hmm. and expect to see the stakeholder, you know, your, your key contact because yeah. – you don't know whether they're going to be there, whereas before they'd always be there. Whether they're available might be another matter. But yeah, yeah, I do. I, I think that um, it it just makes building relationships that a little bit harder if you're seeing people a bit less. I think. Yes. Okay. Um, I think a couple of other of our um, podcasters sort of said the same thing. Mm. Um, so. What is the next big thing in procurement to, that we, let's say, Hawkey Cleaning and Support Services need to look out for? Um, the next big thing, well, there's the new, from, from a public sector point of view, the new regs coming in, um, which uh, are almost ready to, to roll out now. That won't happen probably until the... Uh, mid 24 i would imagine it's certainly spring 24 was the okay. last date i had and the way these things tend to take a bit longer than anticipated so those regulations um are you able to just really summarize <laughs> summarize, uh, summarize them as uh, when it comes to frameworks you can now have eight year frameworks okay for instance uh, as long as you refresh them in the middle which kind of makes it a bit pointless, to be honest. But that's <laughs> we're not sure how how much use they would be. Um, for instance, if you were uh, on a framework after, and it was an eight year one, after three years we'd have to open it up again to outside entrance. Okay, and you could either just sit on what you'd produced three years ago or resubmit yourself. Okay. You're not going to sit on what you did three years no. ago because you'd be concerned about that you might not be there if, if you just sat on your laurels yeah. and things so you, change. You, you would expect suppliers to upgrade the information, but would it be open to new suppliers right. during that process as yes. well? Yes, it would, yeah. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of a, a dynamic purchasing system. It's, it's kind of a little bit of a crossover. No. A dynamic purchasing system is where it's open all the time. Okay. It's almost like a framework where everyone can join and it's always open. I mean, they they need to be well managed in um, where it comes to call-offs about how you... Okay, but at the moment your framework is not open to everyone. They're all fixed, four years. Okay. And then there's no, yeah, there's no opportunity to join during that four years. But the new frameworks of eight years, if you've got to open it up, Every three. Every three, anyway. Well, you know, and everyone is going to resubmit anyway. It's not okay. like that much different. And are there any other things in the new regulations that are... There's, a, there's more of a duty to be um, transparent on your pipelines, which should help the industry a little bit. It depends okay. how diligent you are. on. It's likely that there will be uh, a central portal where everyone has to put the central government. What's coming in particular, up? Everything that's coming up over the next, you know, it could be over the next 18 months, so there's a minimum okay. as to what tenders you're going to be going out on over that period. However, because your organisation members don't have to use your organisations, that pipeline may be irrelevant. Sorry, the the... Your members yeah. on it 
don't have to use you as a no, framework. No, they, it, that pipeline that they submit of saying I'm going out to tender, for example, is almost irrelevant. Well, they, they, they would have using... their own. We'd have as a consortium. We'd have our pipeline of frameworks. Oh, okay. They would have their own pipelines then of if they were going out to tender. Oh, okay. Now it's not really that clear, but if you're just intending to call off a framework again, whether you need to put that on the pipeline. Okay. Because I wouldn't imagine you you have to, because there's no need to um, to advertise beyond the frameworks. Okay, I'm with you. So, so I, I think it's just if you're intending to be going out to okay uh, a full tender. Um, is there any other big things in procurement to look out for? Um, there's the reporting side of it um, that's going to change. Um, so, and responding to suppliers, giving them feedback, how you give feedback. Okay, very that's, important. Yeah, it's not necessarily going to be in a good way, though. I think. Oh. You know, some of it seems to be saying uh, it's a, it, it's not quite clear yet, but it, it seems a little bit confused as to how much. Um, feedback you give and and to what detail i think i don't know whether what your experience is but we always give more than we're obliged to we always do because it's important for suppliers to know yes i mean my experience in public sector certainly has been that there's always been given a very clear scoring and um uh, key areas as well Uh, in private sector it tends to be a bit loose in terms of it's you know could be you're a bit too corporate for us or you're a bit too this or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So it's, it's less, um, it's more, uh, subjective. Yeah. I would, I yeah. would say. Um, okay. So now moving on, um, how important changing the subject quite radically here, how important now, um, are, uh, equality, diversity and inclusion, um, issues affecting today's procurement decisions. I, I'm not convinced that they affect decisions. Okay. Um, in fact, it's, it, you have to be a bit careful that you're not breaking the law if you did go down that route. Correct. Um, the, the, but what what's become clear is it's, it's critically important that both our staff and our suppliers are aware of the issues, that we, we train our staff annually on, on EDI. We... Um, uh, all of our procurement staff, myself included, um, are signed up to the SIPS corporate, corporate ethics um, program. So we, okay. we do um, plenty of due diligence ourselves on what we do. Um, and we also do some training for our suppliers to try and make sure that they're aware of their responsibilities. We'll ask the questions at tender stage to make sure our suppliers are aware of the issues and asking what they do okay to ensure that um everything they do you know meets meets the requirements but you do have to be a bit careful legally as to correct as to how you go about okay putting that in a tender yes how important are um sustainability issues with a supplier that you work with yeah, if you'll have been on our website, you'll see the sustainability is, is massive for us. It always has been. We were the um, the first public body to produce a modern slavery statement, for instance. If okay. You like. We've produced training art, um, resources for, for both SIPs and for the HE sector, um, including some online training we produced. Um, we've 
we're involved in another academic research project in that area where we've been asked to contribute to um, uh, some research on that's both uh, on the the business and human rights side as well as on the climate side. Okay. Yeah, everything we do it has that embedded in it. Okay. We also follow the uh, the global international standard, the ISO twenty thousand four hundred. Right. Which is the um, sustainable procurement standard. So everything we do, okay, follows that, and we're independently ins- assessed for it. In fact, we've got another one coming up shortly. Okay. So, I mean, you mentioned just briefly um, about online training. So, you, as an organisation, give online training to anyone, or how does that work? To our members, yeah. Okay. Well, there, w- what we did on the modern slavery was um, we did that for that was open source. We, right. We, we we did that for SIPS. My predecessor, Andy Davis, okay, worked with um, uh, someone who's on our board actually, Dr. Um, Olga Martin Ortega. Right. Um, who's an academic in this area, runs a business school at Uni of Greenwich, and um, they created the resources that uh, for SIPs okay. to use, the profession to use, okay. and uh, for our members to use around um, modern slavery, the impacts, what you should be looking for in your supply chains, how you should manage the risks and mitigate against. And that's a service that you offer out to the members? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We've always offered... Um, training to our members okay. yeah, free of charge yeah thank you now moving on back on to, to to yourself and um that what what would you say is your biggest regret uh in your career to date um there's probably a couple one would be um probably leaving the house of lords because i loved working there <laughs> i, but I thought just, you would say that it, it was just um it was just the career <laughs> that I, strangers I, bar wasn't it, it it was it was strangers bar and all the other bars and <laughs> no it, it was the interesting tenders in fact the best tender ever done was there which was uh um for fine wines <laughs> <laughs> for, for the re- for the restaurants so <clears throat> yes. yeah things like that and, and i'm sure our listeners will be very intrigued by that <laughs> So yeah, it's the no, it's it was just a great place to work with some fantastic uh, and interesting people as well. Um, yeah, it, it was a great place to work, but that that was a career decision. I knew I needed to do that to, the, to move on. Really, yeah, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Yeah, and and the other the other one would be probably not getting into procurement sooner because it's something that I, f- I feel I'm natural at. It just comes easy to me, and it, it's something that I do without having to think. Okay. That's good. And so you would say even in your sort of private life, you are a, a procurer of things? Um, I, I, I think through and I and I plan and, yeah, I don't jump in. I must say I'm not a, okay. an impulse buyer. I'll research. And You're I'll, the holiday booker. Yeah, I imagine so. So moving now on to more positive, is that what, what is your greatest achievement in your career to date? I think it's probably the fact that I realised I needed to go back to square one to get myself into a career that I wanted. But when I went back to a junior role, when it was what's called an admin assistant um, within the Ministry of Agriculture, I knew exactly why why I was doing it, even though you know I was in my thirties mm. and I, I knew I should have done much better much sooner. But I knew why I was doing it. It was taking, having the faith in yourself to take that step back, 
to to get yourself moving forward. I realised though, mm. I the places I'd gone, you, you'd kind of get to a certain level within an organisation, and it didn't matter how good you were. You, you hit this ceiling where there were people who were coming in with MBAs and doing mm. all the management roles, and you could never quite break through that. So even though I progressed to a reasonable level. I, I, I could just see there was nowhere to go beyond that, and and taking that risk and and it was it was a quite a significant pay cut, you know, to to do that. But it's a, it was a calculated risk uh, at yeah, that time yeah. in your life. You were in your thirties, yeah, where yeah. you could do that. Um, it was, so it that's... was, yeah, it, it had to be done. It was um, um, something that you know to to realize that it, if I hadn't have done that, I'd never have found the career that I found I might still be doing jobs so, okay yeah and and finally um the sort of last question that I'd like to ask is that what things in life whether it be work or leisure um gives you the greatest satisfaction and enjoyment um I think getting to uh there, there are a few there's, there's one in in the career side of things, with with within LUPC is um, after a board meeting where I've kind of produced reams of paperwork and and it, it's gone well. That I find that immensely satisfying to know we're on the right path, to yep. know that they're happy with the management accounts, they're happy with the direction of uh, our strategy and and where we're going. Um, that and 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 also at work is is uh, having a, a a team get together or a team away day and um and then and also you only ever realize that if you do we do an anonymous staff survey every year okay so we're able to judge exactly how we're getting on what the staff really think of us you know and and I've always wanted to know that I've always right. encouraged 360 reporting so you, if you don't, you, you really don't know no. how you're getting on, what people think of you. And and once you've got a baseline, then you can measure yourself year on year. So, yeah, there's the satisfaction of um, knowing that the organisation's doing well, knowing that the staff are doing well, that they're enjoying working there. And then personally, then uh, seeing my children grow and, and progress and, they're they're both at interesting ages now, so okay. One's heading, you know, coming up for his GCSEs, and the other one's not long started secondary school. So just seeing them change, they change so much. Maybe a potential procurement specialist in the making. Well, possibly, possibly, but I, I, I think they've got their sights set higher. To be honest, you know, <laughs> they're at that age where um, but astronauts say, and that, things. In, in the last um, in the last few months, I've managed to get two of my nephews to start careers in procurement i've encouraged them to go and to start their sip study even though they're not in procurement roles because i'm aware that there's um there's great opportunities in procurement there is there is a lot of vacancies out there that we struggle to fill within our sector yeah so i've convinced two of my nephews hopefully (laughs) it will work out well for them but they both started sip studies this year okay well i hope that they are uh, new um, arrivals to uh, be our listeners to our podcast. Yes, I, I will encourage them. Um, yeah. Don, that that uh, brings us to an end of our third Wear Many Hats podcast. Um, uh, we hope uh, that uh, 
our listeners found this interesting to listen to and we'd like to thank you Don uh, Bowman for uh, taking the chair today. Um, it has yet again been very thought-provoking and engaging and uh, we welcome uh, the support and feedback from our listeners. Thank you very much for, thank you for, for coming today. Me. Thanks very much.